0: Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself. What would kids do? Dance to a giant organ played by ocean waves? Yep. Camp in floating tree houses hundreds of feet off the ground? Check. Jump in a big tub of mud on purpose? Call it rejuvenation. We don't care. Just pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. If you need help, ask your kids. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com.
1: All right, time
2: to do a game or great night for it with a nice slate of action. I'm not going to even tell you what games we're going to talk about because you saw already in the title. So let's just get right to Boston and Philly. Nice comeback win for the Sixers, admittedly against what turned out to be a shorthanded Boston team. I think we should start with Joel Embiid's performance in this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, his ability to get to the free throw line was really important in this one and it was a game I I thought there were some soft whistles in each direction in this game and Joel Embiid was the biggest beneficiary of that because he is the most aggressive hardest to guard player in the series Boston is not a foul drawing team and so Embiid getting to the line 21 times is significant enough but what was more important for the outcome of this game was not just that it was that he made 20 of those 21 and also contributed 22 rebounds had a gigantic block on Kyrie Irving at the end of this game and yeah I thought it was a a very impressive performance from him against the team that has done the single best job guarding Embiid in the entire league you mentioned
2: Embiid's foul drawing and while he was much more aggressive in this game I he he admitted afterwards that he kind of shied away from physical contact against them and perhaps part of that was due to the fact that he had a broken face when he played them in the playoffs last year but it was very clear how aggressive it was. I mean, he was just knocking guys backwards every time. Even Aaron Baines, who is a tough guy to move, has largely guarded him pretty well. We didn't see him matching up that much one on one with Al Horford, but Al Horford played some at power forward, and he's not going to play every minute. He played 35 minutes in this one. He had a, a pretty nice game himself with 22 points, five assists. But once Baines went out with a grade two sprained right ankle, and remember, he's just recently coming back from a right foot injury that could could potentially complicate this sprained ankle so grade two. i mean that's a that's kind of you know a at least a two weaker maybe as much as a four weaker so something that could impact their first round series looking like it's likely going to be against indiana now but back to Embiid I mean his aggressiveness his physicality was overwhelming in this game on offense but then also he combines that with really awesome bullshit foul drawing you know the rip move driving feeling contact when he's not really in position to to put up a shot and just throwing something up and getting to the foul line when he'll drive to his left we've never really seen a big man who has that level of trickery for drawing fouls that I can recall I mean some guys like Shaq just would go through and
0: well so we're going to draw a a distinction between him and Kevin Love, right? Cuz Kevin Love has more trickery than this, but he isn't Joel Embiid physically.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I when I say a big man, I probably mean a, a, a pure center, you know, a, a guy who can combine the physical overwhelming with also, hey, when you when you try to get physical back to me, now I can draw the foul as well. And that really puts teams in quite a pickle when they try to defend him.
0: It does. And I spent a fair portion of this game trying to figure out where, you know, like where Philly was going to get the reliable offense from Boston only turned the ball over seven times in this game. And so I think, Maybe the, the single most important reason, I mean, Joel Embiid was, was was massive, of course, but another huge reason why Philly ended up winning this game, a game that they trailed in and were generally being outplayed in for a lot of the first half and then early into the second half, was Marcus Smart getting ejected. I have no problem with tossing a guy who just straight up pushes a guy with two hands in the back. Like I have no problem with the decision to eject him. I do have a problem with even if there was some antagonism, I I I know the heat of the moment. I give guys deference, but this is a big game. You know, I think I will talk at the kind of at more maybe more towards the end of this about the this game has some real significance for these two teams. Not in terms of like oh the psyche moving forward, but in terms of the actual seating and mechanics of this. And he was doing as always a spectacular job on JJ Redick, and Redick, you know, he still only was four of fourteen from the field, but it helped give them another place to go, and also. Not having Marcus Smart out there made it harder for Boston's defense in the fourth quarter when Philly was putting some possessions together to just have a way to attack Boston's D.
2: Yeah, I thought they missed him against the, the likes of Jimmy Butler, for example, in that fourth quarter. I thought that throughout a lot of the game, Philly really got outplayed. And remember, Gordon Hayward also missed this game with a concussion. Be interested to see what kind of an effect he would be able to have. You know, I I think my instinct is that in a playoff series, you know, maybe he'll have one or two solid games that can turn, but will be more of a non-factor at other times. Boston has plenty of depth. I mean, we saw Semi Ojale finally got unearthed in this one. And, you know, he's just such a great luxury to have as a defense player hit a three as well, plays hard. But I thought Philly, just their transition defense was really poor some bad decisions going to the offensive glass not getting back failing to match up well in transition scouting report failures not closing out to the correct hand not keeping al horford off of his left shoulder in the post you know he got like three straight buckets just with left-handed jump hooked one of them he got fouled but another one they were keeping up really reddick was the only guy who both with irving by making him go left a little bit more even in isolation like the warriors do you know i didn't think they did a good job of that that may not be what their plan is but it probably should be if you get stuck in an iso with Kyrie Irving to make him go left he's just nowhere near as good finishing left or more importantly shooting the jump shot going left as he is with like that kick out fade away going to his right uh Reddick actually stopped Horford in the post by keeping him off his left shoulder um but so the other guys could really tend to bone up and yeah, make I, fewer mistakes
0: I, I loved Redick being way. the guy who executed the scouting report on Al Horford yeah like that was yeah. amazing
2: uh I mean, I assume that's in the scouting report. It, it's been. in I mean, Reddick might also just years. know
0: it. I mean, yeah, it's it's been it's been yeah. pretty clear for the last little bit. Not to jump jump over that, I think that's a, a really important part of this. And Philly, actually, I'll just talk about that and then go on to the other point after. Philly is not as young a team anymore as they used to be. Not only because their young players have gotten older and more experienced in the league, but because they have added a lot of veterans around that. You know, Jimmy Butler has been around the block. Tobias Harris has been around the block. JJ Reddick, obviously, and even some of their. While I don't think they're particularly good bench players they're not newbies to the league and they make a lot of like young team young guy mistakes and that I mean at a certain point I mean, that probably goes back to coaching and you can throw some of it on unfamiliarity I mean a lot of the guys on this team are new to this team but things like knowing what direction to send Al Horford that's something you yeah. can convey but
2: they had some communication errors on switches oh what? yeah I mean, it wasn't just there's a lot of things where uh, I thought they just missed guys. Um, but right I I agree with you I think that their defense was pretty poor early in this game really for the first three quarters in particular here are two other numbers that I think are enormous in this game five and nine five minutes for Boban Marjanovic nine minutes for TJ McConnell and we've those guys were negative five and negative four in those stints mike scott played 21 minutes he was negative 14 we've been harping that the big weakness for the sixers team is their bench and especially just how limited some of those guys are not even necessarily that all of them are bad players but paired with one another getting it into the playoffs that, that it's just really difficult to play that was in this group especially some of ben simmons limitations well brett braun solved that by playing ben simmons 42 minutes and Joel Embiid. Forty-one minutes and Tobias Harris thirty-seven and Butler thirty-seven. Reddick played thirty-two. I mean, that's probably even more than you want him playing. But you know, this, this is a big game, perhaps for their confidence. A big game, perhaps to get the three seed, and the, and they recognize that it was on national TV. It was a home game. Joel Embiid, you know, really, really wanted to win this one. And uh, Brown, especially in the second half. I mean, what did Joel play? Like twenty-two minutes in the second half or something like that. Yeah, I you think know,
0: he and... sat for like a minute and a half. And yeah, something. You're right that playing the starters more minutes will reduce the workload on the bench. You know that's kind of what a playoff adjustment does on a, on on a good model. The problem for Philly with that though is that especially with, I think Boban's a good a good guy to think of for this. There will be circumstances when you cannot play your five best players that many minutes. That could be foul trouble. It could be a guy tweaking an ankle or, you know, just not even an injury that keeps them out for a game or two, just something that they're a little bit off and you want to give them extra rest. And what really concerns me about Philadelphia, if we're talking about them in this like Eastern Conference champion conversation, which which they deserve to be in, is that they can't really handle any issue to any one of their five players because There isn't somebody who can step in. I mean, James Ennis has won the silent tournament, and he's deeply imperfect you know i've been a believer in him for a while now but he doesn't really cure what ails philadelphia and doesn't really solve a lot of that and remember also that having this limited a group also prevents philly from playing their best players together as often yeah they're playing a lot of minutes but you have to stagger them in order to use this small bench rotation what did you think
2: of tobias harris's impact not only in this game but but mean that game against the bucks as well are they are they getting if not their money is worth uh, their resources worth for for all that they gave up to get him is that looking like it's worth it as far as bumping them up this year
0: it's good to have another option But they do have too many mouths to feed. I mean, that's just a part of this. Tobias Harris, you, you brought up the Milwaukee game, and I'm happy you did. He only took seven shots in 34 minutes in that game. And it's not like, oh, well, that all went to the free throw line. He took four free throws in that game. So there will be nights like that. Now you can make the argument that having more options than you need than if somebody gets cold or somebody gets hurt or something like that, then you have another guy to step up. And that's also a part of the theory of getting Tobias Harrison theoretically resigning him is that you can, if Jimmy Butler leaves or whether it's by his choice or the teams that you have you already basically have another guy fit who fits in well but there is a little bit of law of diminishing returns for me with these guys in the immediate end. and there and there are ways to stagger it and you know give give them opportunities to shine but I think down down the end I mean he is there are probably going to be a lot of nights where Jimmy's just gonna whether he's on or he's off Jimmy's going to be taking those shots and so Tobias Harris his value will be keeping one player away from the paint because you have to defend him out there and while that's useful I mean there are times when Clay Thompson does exactly the same thing, but I mean, Tobias Harris is better than that. So, you know, I, I think it's okay, but demi- I do think that diminishing returns is an important thing to talk about here.
2: Well, I don't think he is a big positive on defense we didn't see him get attacked much in this game there are a couple of times i thought where horford went right at him successfully when boston was going with two bigs that alignment had to be scrapped basically when baines suffered that ankle injury there was a period in the third quarter where he really started attacking and i thought you saw a little bit more the vision of what philly's front office saw and and how he can really help them a lot where he went one-on-one a couple of times in a semi-transition situation got to the basket and he does provide another way of attacking a team like Boston a big part of the theory now of this Philly lineup is well you don't have yeah we don't necessarily have the one guy who's going to guard Kyrie Irving but we don't have the one guy that Kyrie Irving is going to guard and I thought that they really attacked successfully and Harris is part of that you know if you're going to try and hide Kyrie somewhere you know, he can be a part of attacking that and he also can shoot when he's off the ball now they don't give him the ball down the end it's you you know Jimmy Butler was kind of the main guy at the end and he did so just as he did in the Milwaukee game pretty successfully uh I loved the way that they attacked Kyrie Irving I mean there was a stretch in the last three minutes of the game when there's or, or the last four minutes from basically like the four minute mark until like maybe the one minute mark it seemed like there are almost no stop shifts. I might be overseeing the, the amount of time but that very high leverage basketball and guys were getting exhausted you know it was sort of like whoever could summon the energy for a hard attack you know everyone else was too tired to to do anything about it they had some really nice plays at the beginning of that stretch was slipping screens i think it was harris who who got a layup uh might have been simmons i can't remember who was setting the screen for butler butler went right to the rim when he got the switch on irving then he settled for a couple of threes and then jason tatum tied it up with a a minute left but butler was able to close things down ultimately in this one um with that jump shot to put him up five so that seemed like it worked their late game offense was able to be successful and i thought that boston really did not have much of a plan defensively which is rare that you'll see that for a brad stevens team of just Getting enough help available at the rim when they got the matchup against Irving. I mean, and, and you've got Embiid, who you know is not some unbelievable three point shooter. He was kind of hanging out outside. Horford, usually a good help guy, it was really clean to Embiid a little bit too much. You got Simmons down in the dunker spot. Help could have come off of there, and you've got guys going right in for layups in the last three minutes of the game. You know that was not very impressive to me defensively from Boston. I think missing Smart is a big part of that, and Reddick was able to get going a little bit once Smart was out as well so that was you know and smart guards better than anybody in the nba i think it's and it's not particularly close to me so i don't know i i think with the injury issues that they had with some of the errors they had down the end they did get a great game from terry Rozier that they're not going to get most of the time uh with 20 points on 16 shots um i wouldn't be discouraged about this matchup if you're boston but we can turn to this now the outcome in this game really makes it more likely that these teams are never going to match up in the playoffs despite kind of the emphasis on how these two teams match up it seems like all year perhaps just because they played each other in the first game
0: right and because that playoff series was so memorable last year so This is pretty striking, and this will get into the second game we're going to talk about a little bit. The closest, so of the top four seeds, the closest margin between teams is now actually between the one and the two. Milwaukee is two games ahead of Toronto in both the wins column and the loss column. Philly is now three ahead of Indiana and four ahead of Boston, so they should feel pretty comfortable about that. We're about 10 games left in the season, so it takes a lot to cover that kind of ground, and Philly can take care of business, and the other spillover benefit for philadelphia in that circumstance because remember they're also four games clear of toronto is that they can you know we talked about how they're going to ride their starters hard in the big games they should be able to give them a little bit more rest that is incredibly useful for them one other thing i wanted to mention with boston i've criticized in the past i've and i thought jason tatum did a much better job in this game of of, he had some really nice attacks he had one like diagonal drive into a righty layup that i really liked also had some had some nice help defensive plays but the criticism that i had of tatum going back to when he was at duke was that he was too comfortable taking bad shots that was marcus morris in this game Like Marcus Morris took a couple of just awful, awful shots. Yeah. He's been
2: struggling the last couple of months.
0: And so they you know he has to be a part of this rotation and he's been you know an, an important piece of what they've done you know like as they kind of rebounded from some rough parts earlier in the year but if you were to ask me right now who I would rather have just me myself in their you know both starting and closing lineups I would rather have Jalen Brown out there than Mark than Marcus Morris against most teams there are certainly some exceptions but I just trust I, I trust if Jalen Brown's gonna make some mistakes to be sure but those sorts of things that just kind of gum it up offensively like he also forced up a shot with like 25 seconds left after the block that that Joel Embiid had on Kyrie Irving. Morris got that ball back and just fired up a two that was awkward and off balance and they were down by three all that kind of stuff and it, it, it drove me a little bit crazy one of one of many things that drove me crazy on this wonderful night of basketball
2: <laughs> um a couple more notes here before we uh transition to that toronto okc game we mentioned Embiid's beads physicality six offensive rebounds and philly's offensive rebounding is probably an underrated factor in their success in this game and they had a 112 offensive rating after the third quarter despite shooting 34 percent from the field and a ton of that obviously was the free throw line where they were 32 out of 36 at the end of the third quarter and they fi- finished with 43 attempts and so much of that of course wasn't but also the offensive and six offensive rebounds for joel and that's one of the things that just teams are not be able to stop he's just too big and the getting into better shape to be able to provide that level of effort there are a couple of moments where he got tired and wasn't able to get back on defense gave up a, a tip in off a of fast break because he didn't get back but over Overall, to maintain the effort level that he did over 41 minutes was impressive, especially since he's relatively recently just coming back from that knee injury. A um, couple other points here.
0: Here, I have one I can mention yeah, you quick. Yeah, this might ahead. jump one of yours. Philly only had one light ball turnover in this game. That helps. Yeah, it really, really does. They did have seven. Dead ball turnovers, but that's, I mean, that's huge in terms of trying to, you know, take away one of your biggest negatives. Now, I do not think that's going to necessarily continue moving forward. Not having worker smart out there for basically the second half didn't help all those sorts of things. But I mean, if Philly can, we talked about the kind of young team, young guy mistakes they made. If they can tone that down, they are a much, much, much more dangerous team.
2: Another reason I was encouraged by Boston here is they were able to get it going in the paint in ways which they haven't been able to, and they didn't really shoot the jump shot incredibly well. They were hot from three early, and Rozier shot it well, but Irving was only three out of 13 from downtown. You don't see that effort from him all that often. Um, the switching that Philly went to at the end was fascinating as well. That key stop that Embiid got, they just that was their scheme, was just to switch him onto Irving and just see if Irving could score. The Celtics were, were down three, going for the two for one at that point. Brad Stevens, by the way, always gets those situations right, which a, a lot of coaches don't. That clock management in the last 40 seconds of the game, he called the timeout, set up the play, But and Irving went at the right time. And then, you know, as you mentioned, Morris got that offensive rebound. And Embiid, just, that block he made was just incredible. I mean, we can't talk about that enough. Uh,
0: oh, I wanted to mention something on that play. So yeah. I heard some people saying that Kyrie Irving, like it was kind of foul drawing why he was so awkward. To me, it was that he was scared of Joel Embiid swatting that shot with Joel's right hand like that was to me it wasn't about drawing the foul it was trying to get his best angle for it i could be wrong but that was my interpretation of what happened
2: all right i think that's about all i got uh, on this one but it's not all i've got on indochino the official outfitter of i can't really say the dunked on podcast but the nate duncan wedding maybe more more accurately they did my tuxedo for my wedding they did the sport jackets and shirts for my groomsmen and i was able to customize my tuxedo exactly how i wanted got the shawl collar which was kind of a classic look that i really enjoyed and quite importantly it actually fit me extremely well as you would expect because it's actually made to measure Got a number of suits from them as well and was able to customize those. Also, the lapel, the lining, the pockets, the buttons, the monogram. It's just so much better in terms of fit and just getting the exact fabric and customization that you want than getting an off-the-rack suit. And it only takes a couple of weeks to get mailed to you. They even have a tutorial on how to measure yourself or you can just go into one of their showrooms. I think they're up to 12 now, which is in a, a lot of NBA cities. At this point, if you're just going to get your off-the-rack suit tailored at the department store or whatever, it's probably going to take you just about the same amount of time. And, you know, you've got to go there and spend a bunch of time combing through the racks to find the one suit that you want and then hope that the pants are the same size. For whatever reason, at a department store, they seem to think that every person who has long arms also has like a 45-inch waist. That didn't really work for me. But perhaps even the best thing about Indochino is the price. When you enter that familiar cap space code at checkout, you can get 50% off the regular price for this made-to-measure premium suit and free shipping that rings in at just 359 bucks indochino.com is the website again enter that familiar cap space code and you'll get any premium suit for just 359 dollars and free shipping once you go to custom suits you will not go back i have not gotten an off-the-rack suit since i started with indochino and don't forget that cap space code let them know that you came from us let's turn to another game that turned into uh, an unexpected—I don't want to say classic—because it ended up being a, an overtime blowout. By the way, I thought this game, Danny, was a great argument for why overtime should be like two or three minutes instead of five. That's something that we've talked about on, on, in our our late Stitcher Premium podcast of like rule changes that we would make because it's just like why do you need that extra time? I mean, I guess the idea is that you want to make sure there's a winner after one overtime, but like you're not playing any more extra minutes. Like, why don't you just go into a second overtime if it's still tied after two or? three minutes
0: yeah or they could modify it into a first to X or something like that but yeah no I, no I don't like that i don't like that i wasn't advocating for it i was just mentioning it as a possibility <laughs> i haven't i haven't pieced together i would yeah, need to the, hear the,
2: what is it the elam ending i'm not
0: I'm yeah not the sure elam ending things like that uh but yeah i i think my my big picture takeaway from this game is it was another very concerning loss for me to oklahoma for oklahoma city because yes they ended up Bring it close i'm trying to remember it was a game earlier in march where okc was in a circumstance where they basically needed to throw a perfect game for the last three minutes and they did and then the they, memphis, up, game. memphis game yeah. yeah. And so that's With, basically. When Paul the, George was out. Yeah. That's basically the story of this one as well. And it, you know, kind of like the, 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 it takes two to lie, one to lie, and one to listen. I mean, we'll talk about what Toronto did to make that happen in this game. <laughs> that's,
2: such, that's such a good Simpsons quote, by the way.
0: But I thought by and large, OKC was outplayed in this game. Yeah. Toronto made more shots than you would have expected. They made some tough ones and all that kind of stuff. But I was watching this game in the context of another couple. I've been, I've watched a fair amount of OKC the last couple of weeks. I enjoyed watching, I, I I think they're a fascinating team, and they could and should have maybe arguably won the Indiana game, but they got worked by the Warriors, they lost pretty handily to Miami, and... Those are good teams. I'm not. I'm not saying. I, oh my God, they're, they're they're scrubs because they they lost to these teams in the Miami game. Rust didn't play, but they're going to have to face really good teams in the playoffs too. And their offense has looked more stagnant. Their defense can look amazing. There were some times in this game where it looked absolutely great. But the idea, my concern for OKC since the jump of this season, since I mean maybe since I realized when I was talking with Kevin Pelton that Jeremy Grant was going to be their starting power forward, was the idea that when they face the best of the best, were they going to consistently get good shots and Paul George had some amazing stuff late in this game I mean bringing helping bring them back with some some vicious threes but that concern Has not been abated in the slightest for me this season, despite Paul George. I mean, I picked him as my MVP at that time about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Despite that, that concern is still there.
2: I certainly echo all your concerns, and I mean we don't have to go back to this summer to talk about an OKC team not potentially having enough shooting. One area that I do think was very encouraging is the way that Russell Westbrook played. And this wasn't a game where oh, he just happened to be making the jump shot. Instead, 10 of 14 at the rim, including a fantastic attack full court late we'll talk about uh, what a comedy of errors the, the end of this game was for the Raptors but uh Russell Westbrook certainly was huge in taking advantage and so 10 of 14 at the rim only took five shots of his 29 as twos outside the restricted area only eight free throw attempts were just surprising given as the number of times he attacked the basket but he played well in this game he was not the problem for Oklahoma City he even was five out of ten from Downtown, rest of team eight out of thirty-three, and uh they also were bricking away at the foul line. That's another reason, though, that I mean they they probably wouldn't would have been right in it at the end without the miracle comeback if they had just made some free throws. I mean Toronto was nineteen out of twenty-one, well above expectations there by a, a couple of points, and then OKC, you know, at fifteen out of twenty-nine, that's a good if you consider most teams hit eighty percent. They might be a little bit below that. I'm guessing with Russ, I looked at their season-long free throw. Percentage, but they cost themselves at least call it seven or eight points at the foul line. Their offensive rebounding was impressive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think they actually played better than this would have been. Game. Now, there's a the Toronto team without Kyle Lowry as well, and without Sergio Baca. So I'm not, well,
0: no, Serge Ibaka played. He, he oh, came off he Oh, he's back now. Yeah, he's back. Yeah, he, he played. Oh. Uh, he looked a little bit flat in some of the parts that I saw him, but he, he did play in oh, yeah. his, yeah, the retirement season. of his Sorry, former bye. teammate, Nick Collison, in the, his, jersey, his jersey retirement. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. OKC on the season, they are at 70, 72% from the foul line. That is the third worst percentage in the league ahead of only Miami and the Lakers, both of whom are below 70% barely at the moment right now, which is real bad. And, yeah, so I think that's fair, but it is is—it is also, like, they're not a great free-throw shooting team, and the guys who ended up with free-throws in this game, you know, I don't think of Nerlens as a particularly good free-throw shooter. That might just be me being wrong, but I don't think of him that way. And yeah i i think part of it for me why why i was worried was other than russ i mean russ was was amazing driving and he he had some really nice stuff at transition he also was aggressive and toronto's room protection this game left something to be desired at least for me but just the other you know okay is like jeremy grant yeah he's shooting a strong percentage on threes this year but are teams a going to respect that and and really zealously defend him and b is is he going to take and make those shots in clutch moments you know like those those are very 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 real concerns for me. Yeah, he, he So he's a he's a forty percent or 30, sorry thirty eight percent for the season. But if you don't treat a player like a forty like a thirty eight percent three, three point shooter, you're, you're losing some of the benefit of that
2: would you think of the Kawhi Leonard Paul George matchup in this game we talk about those two guys extensively on a podcast that's coming out tomorrow our top 10 players in the NBA so that's to be clear that's recorded before we're informed by tonight's matchup but you know hopefully we wouldn't be informed too much for something that's a season long but more informed by the full season and even past season
0: I thought both of them did pretty well defensively. I thought that, you know, we've wondered about what Kawhi we're going to see on that end in big games, and I thought he looked better than an average game this season for him, which which is important. And- I mean, one of the strengths for Kawhi for throughout his career has been his ability to like kind of get to his spots, even, even if the other team has a good defender on him. And, you know, I thought that that was a little bit less true in this game. I mean, he did, he, had, he did have more points than shot attempts, but it was pretty damn close to even and 22 on 19 and then four or five in field. So for going shooting possessions, it's basically even, uh, and he turned the ball over a couple times, but I, I thought, oh, I thought Kawhi was fine. And Paul George, he was damn quiet until the very end of this game when he just put up some huge shots to bring okc back from the brink
2: yeah and he also suffered some uh from foul trouble did fall out at yeah, the very absolutely. end which which certainly doomed the thunder in overtime uh but he only got off four two-point shots i'm sorry that's wrong he only got off yeah yeah that's right four two-point shots in this game and i do wonder about his ability to create for himself and others inside the arc he ended up with six assists and perhaps you know he might have more if there were uh, better shooters on his team but especially on this team i I think against good defenses his ability to get to the rim it can be limited and he's not the type of force that russ is at his best where he's just going to go through people where he's going to run it down team's throats in transition where he can get to the basket sometimes even if there is a wall there for Kawhi you know he didn't have as much success going one on one against Paul George for good or for ill Toronto went away at the end of the games from some of the Kweiso ball that they've done throughout the season because Siakam was having such a fantastic game and he dropped 33 points on 14 of 21 but also had five turnovers and did not make good decisions very late in the game i thought especially even in the overtime although Toronto did outscore them 13 to 4 and OKC unsurprisingly without George really struggled to score they had zero points until under a minute remained in overtime. But I thought there were places, especially with Dennis shooter on the floor, that they could have attacked with the small, small pick and rolls and, and used that as a way, especially because they're in a situation where number one, they needed to burn clock and number two you know, you don't necessarily in those situations need to score every time or even maximize your odds of scoring as long as you can say all right we're just going to run something that you know maybe this only has a 40 percent chance of getting us a bucket but it enables us to run the time down and we're not going to turn it over you know that's something that I think I still trust Kawhi to do more than Siakam but Siakam was having a good game and this is a regular season game and so empowering him I think you know made some good sense can we talk about how that Thunder comeback happened though and just I think you know we don't need to go possession by possession. but I think there's some some interesting notes just to take just the overall about tactical basketball from that,
0: yeah. We could start with something from Toronto's perspective, and this ties in with what you just said. I am not a supporter of prevent basketball, you know, kind of the equivalent of the prevent defense in football of just like, you know, dribble the air out of the ball and then chuck up something with one second left. Because I'm fine with even pushing, trying to get a shot early in the shot clock, but only taking it if it's a great look. You know, if you get a layup, you get a dunk, you get a wide open three by somebody who's actually a good three point shooter, that sort of thing. But Toronto. I mean, Fred, Fred Van Vliet did it a couple of times, Siakam as well. They were forcing the issue without really having much going on and then settled for that anyway. And I thought that was, that was a really bad thing because you're giving the other team more possessions. And a lot of times they were not only giving them possessions, but giving them possessions with a head of steam. And that is a really bad thing to do against any opponent that's trying to come back, but especially one that is way better in transition than they are in half-court offense. So I thought that was one of the big flaws in Toronto's approach.
2: Toronto led by 11 with 244 remaining at the start of a, an okc possession i mean that's you know 99 percent win expectancy under two minutes i mean you expect there's going to be about six possessions left and yeah it didn't work out too well because first they gave up a three shot foul to paul george and the two things that i always say these crazy comebacks have three shot fouls and turnover and so they give one of those up to paul george then he hit a couple of ridiculous three-pointers and it's not like toronto failed to score during this period too they actually even scored two points over that final 244 a Siakam layup although certainly their offense was not great the thing that I really liked that OKC did was when Toronto led by only two after George made another very difficult three and actually could have been a four-point play it looked like Kawhi got him on the arm Uh, and that was off of a pretty nice inbound set from Billy Donovan he did a good job getting the two for one there They then went and trapped Kawhi Leonard, who was trying to just run the time down in ISO. He, I don't want to say panicked, but drove with probably at least 15 seconds on the shot clock and threw it out to Van Vliet and Van Vliet, instead of backing it out, ended up shooting very early. Raptors then hit the offensive glass pretty hard. It paid off for them that time with Paul George falling out. Uh, But with a five-second differential, Fred Van Vliet drives within seven seconds. I mean, that's one where you just, you have to, have to, have to to run the time down and make OKC even with the timeout try to score with under five seconds left on the clock you cannot take that shot and especially Van Vliet I mean he just threw up a layup that wasn't even close and Kawhi Leonard decided to crash in all the way from the three point line to try and get a tip dunk that tip slipped out of his hands and now you've got Fred Van Vliet crashing into the cameras you've got Gasol going for the offensive rebound as a center Kawhi went for it and all of a sudden it's a three on two and even Danny Green's awesome fast break defense couldn't stop Westbrook and that was a good Defensive rebound by Westbrook, by the way, for much as we joke about the triple doubles, it's not to say that Westbrook's defensive rebounding isn't valuable. You know, I, I, we've made the point many times that him getting a defensive rebound, they score very well off of that, that it's good to prioritize him getting the defensive rebound as long as he's not forsaking his defensive responsibilities early to go to the glass, which he'll do on occasion. It's more just that, you know, getting 10 assists and 10 rebounds isn't some magic number as opposed to getting eight assists and eight rebounds or something like that. Um, um, and that just you know getting a defensive rebound in and of itself preventing an offensive rebound just isn't particularly valuable at this point in time. But anyway, this time it was, and he's able to push it and score uh, over Danny Green and Dennis Schroeder of all people took a nice charge, which was clearly a charge with uh, one second left. Yeah,
0: a correctly called interpretation of a terrible rule.
2: Yeah, he came off the strong side corner, but uh, no harm, no foul for or no harm foul, I guess more accurately for Toronto because uh, they did take it away in overtime without kyle lowry
0: you got anything else here on this one well the only other thing i want to mention is just i, I talked about how now the closest race in the eastern conference in that top top group uh, there's obviously some question stuff at the bottom is with Toronto and Milwaukee it's going to be something to watch about how Toronto approaches that because they have so much clearance on the bottom half I mean they might just want to rest some of their guys but remember Toronto has a whole slew of winnable games coming up they play they do have this weird home and home with Okc again I hate this especially for teams that aren't in the same conference so you play both of your games in like three days so if a guy turns his ankle then he misses both games and it's a big competitive advantage anyway after that they play Charlotte Chicago New York Chicago so like if they can win those games maybe they start to get like a, a game away or something like that in Milwaukee then you start to push for the one so that's going to be w- worth keeping an eye on who
2: is the tiebreaker between those teams
0: it looks like Milwaukee won three of four so then it would be them so then that yeah. means functionally they're three games ahead or they're are two and a half games ahead yeah and we'll see
2: how long this Giannis ankle injury mm-hmm. lingers for Milwaukee Milwaukee got some bad news which we'll get to it in a moment today for OKC and this is now four and ten in their last 14 they are still projected to be the sixth seed by 538 by one game but a lot of that is informed by their overall point differential on the season uh being better than the spurs and clippers but they the thunder very easily could be the eighth seed and uh while us who enjoyed the drama wouldn't mind seeing that in the slightest the Oklahoma City Thunder would not be too happy to see that with the Spurs and Clippers both just on a tear right now projected to finish with 47 wins amazing to think at this point Danny how it looked like for a long time the West wasn't gonna be as strong as the at the bottom and at least for the ninth seed it won't be you know the Spurs and Clippers are basically in at this point the Kings after that epic collapse yesterday which maybe we can discuss that a little bit since we both watched that game uh, against the Nets with D'Angelo russell dropping 27 in the fourth quarter to bring the nets back so those teams are in but still it's the eighth season 47 wins probably you know maybe there'll be some resting at the end if if the seeding is decided but and who knows maybe there'll be a team if you've got the nuggets or the Rockets, I think we could very easily see some strategic tanking into that seven seed to try and face the Nuggets instead of Houston. And the, the Nuggets are projected to finish three games ahead of the Rockets right now.
0: Well, the Nuggets are not only are they projected to be there, they're five games ahead in the loss column right now.
2: I mean, you could make the argument that the seven seed is the best seed you would want to have outside of you might want to even have the seven seed over the three seed so some might argue i mean depending on what you think of the nuggets versus say the jazz if the jazz end up in six probably not going to happen though the jazz are now projected to finish three games clear of the thunder for the fifth seed and it'd be jazz blazers in the first round but both of those seem projected to finish with 51 wins but the thunder i mean they, they are right now tied with the spurs and clippers and they would be in the seventh seed already right now if the spurs had taken care of business against the heat again we'll talk about it in a little bit but it's time for us to take care of a little business and tell you about Postmates, which is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of, delivery service. I've been using Postmates, I think I want to say as early as 2014, I was, I was using it to get food delivered on football sundays when certainly nobody wanted to go out and we wanted to get a and pick up but we wanted to get our favorite restaurants and our favorite restaurants didn't have delivery available but with postmates we were able to get it because postmates is the largest on-demand network in the known universe they've got more than twenty-five thousand partner merchants you don't have to go to the restaurant or the store you don't have to know where they are postmates will deliver anything to you within the hour 24 hours a day 365 days a year download their app on ios or android for free browse local restaurants businesses just check out what's near you their grocery delivery is fantastic as well they can bring you a breakfast burrito at 8 a.m my wife uses them to get a breakfast burrito all the time sushi at 9 p.m red wine at 4 p.m i don't know why the copy says red wine at 4 p.m i, I think sushi is better at 4 p.m. and red wine at 9 p.m. but i also eat it kind of weird hours it's uh you know i don't get up until nine o'clock most days here's the other thing they're giving out a hundred bucks of free delivery credit in your first seven days so essentially for your first seven days you are going to get free delivery unless you just really really go crazy which you know, i certainly advocate but uh realistically uh, it would be hard to use all that up download the app and use that code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember because we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program get your hundred dollars a free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app, get anything you need, anytime you need it. That's what differentiates Postmates uh, from some of these other food delivery services, in my opinion. And don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us. Why don't we hit some news and then we can maybe hit on uh, a couple of these other games that, that we had a, a chance to watch.
0: Sure, so I, I think the place to start with news is with the Milwaukee Bucks. We mentioned Giannis missed both ends of the back to back with the ankle issue, it's not believed to be serious. We'll just have to see. They lost to Cleveland tonight, so Giannis missing games is obviously very, very important. A lot of teams have
2: been losing to Cleveland lately.
0: That's that's for sure. And the one that is is more significant in terms of duration, albeit not to his dominant player, Nicole Mirtich suffered what was described by Shams strani as a slight fracture of his left thumb, and he will miss two to four weeks. Four weeks is about how long we have left in the in the regular season, so that timeline is very important. I mean, you know, Milwaukee might have a, a doable first round, but remember they're also p- presumably going to be without Malcolm Brogdon for you know for a while as well Brogdon will be out longer than Miritich so that means more Ersanio Usova that means less time to see if Miritich is the answer in Brogdon's stead so it's really unfortunate for Milwaukee not catastrophic to their playoff hopes or anything like that but it is an important absence
2: well especially because Miritich he's streaky as a shooter certainly very well respected as a floor spacer and at least it's his left thumb which you know if you're shooting the ball correctly you shouldn't be using your left thumb too much as a right-handed player anyway so you would hope that that won't be too much of an impediment for him and that their first round matchup won't be too bad but just from a developing chemistry standpoint to have two of your six most important players unavailable that's not great the Bucks had waived Christian Wood to sign Tim Frazier with the injury to Brogdon and also with George Hill still suffering with this left groin soreness He was out for Wednesday's game against the Cavs. I'm not sure whether if he had a setback or what on the back end of a a back-to-back. And Sterling Brown, not a point guard, but still coming back from that wrist injury. He did some five-on-five today. But they signed Tim Frazier, who was in camp with them, was waived by the Pelicans just prior to the waiver deadline. By waiving Wood and signing Frazier, they did, in theory, expose themselves to the luxury tax. If they were to make the NBA Finals, Tony Snell has some bonuses that would have triggered and put them a couple of bucks over or maybe one buck over (laughs) uh but frazier or i'm sorry but wood got claimed by the pels we said that somebody should claim him the pels were apparently the lowest team in the waiver order to do so or i guess highest team in the waiver order team with the worst record and wood has that non-guarantee for next year that doesn't become guaranteed until the first game of the regular season about half of it guarantees at that point in time would have been nice for them to keep would around their backup big man situation is a little unsettled for next year with mirtich and lopez agents, but i guess they felt like they needed Frazier and probably had a pretty darn good idea that would uh, was going to get claimed and he's shown some signs uh, been very good in the G League so uh, a nice flyer for New Orleans to take he'll be competing with Check Diallo and Julio Okafor likely at New Orleans uh, next season Uh, New Orleans waived Jason Smith he is ineligible for the playoffs that's one where he was traded there I guess he's played a little bit but obviously not a part of their future plans had had some cups of coffee with the franchise before but you wonder why they wouldn't have just waived him prior to the deadline maybe he could have gotten on somewhere probably didn't have anywhere to go anyway so perhaps there was a thought that it's more of a favor to keep him on the team if you're not going to use that roster spot also in new orleans drew holiday and Etwan Moore, J- alvin gentry hinted that drew with an ab more with a, a quad entry could get shut down that they're going to be overly cautious so with new orleans in tank mode probably not going to see them again this season it seems to be reading the the tea leaves there. What else we got here?
0: This will tie in a little bit with a game that I don't we don't need to discuss too long because I didn't watch it for that long but Kelly Eco of The Athletic reported earlier today that Mike D'Antoni is has acknowledged that he has worn out James Harden in the past and the organization is taking steps to ensure that doesn't happen again what their plan is is not to have him sit games they call that a non-starter but depending on how the first three quarters go they want to sit him for fourth quarters otherwise known as what most coaches do with their star players so that is their radical rest reform for James Harden is what they should have been doing the whole damn season and immediately after and i'm not obviously kelly does a great job i, I just found it funny that mere yeah, hours yeah, don't, after that don't was, shoot the messenger yeah mere hours after that was reported Harden played 46 minutes on the tail end of a back-to-back in a game against memphis that they still lost so it it probably is the plan. I don't know if Dantoni and Harden can help themselves from themselves, but it's it's important. I mean, we've talked about how Harden has It looked like part of the story with him is that he's run out of gas in the playoffs, and sure, he wants to win the MVP and playing more minutes and getting more shots, and I mean he he dropped fifty-seven. 57- Points in their one twenty six one twenty five loss in Memphis. So yeah, things like that, things like that do help, especially a night when Giannis doesn't play. But if their goal is something other than getting James Harden to win the MVP, those two things are pushing against each other.
2: Well, I, I got to push back on that a little bit because they really, really need to get the three seed and get out of Golden State's half of the practice
0: See, well, that depends. I actually, I so Matt Moore and I did a podcast on this with Real Jam Radio. To me, if Houston's goal is to advance as far as they can then you're then i think you're right because then it's more likely to make it to the conference finals i personally both because the warriors need to figure it to take time to figure things out and because you get you get a more fresh harden if my goal was to uh, uh, beat the nba champion and you assume that you're going to have to beat golden state either way there i would actually rather play them in the second round than the third round personally
2: yeah i understand that line of thinking if you're a coach and a player and management though you want to be able to look back to your owner and the media and whatever your stature and say hey we were around in the final four uh, of the nba that's that's just more important ultimately for your season and you can also say hey that's more time for the warriors to get worn out that's more time for the warriors to get injured there's more of a chance that they could potentially lose before then as well to someone else i mean it's still it's not a high chance that they could lose in the first two runs but it's at least an out for you uh you also get to play the nuggets in the second round which i mean we'll see whether it's true or not everyone seems to be salivating at playing them and eh, you know i'm not i understand that line of thinking at least i'll say that um kenneth Fareed and eric gordon did sit out uh, on the tail end of this back-to-back i mean they have been resting basically everyone but harden it, it seems like uh for golden state demarcus cousins will return they signed an- andrew bogut we talked about him him playing on Monday didn't look as good on Tuesday, although they waxed the T-Wolves. Nonetheless, uh, but Cousins will return from a minor foot issue Thursday night at home against the Pacers. For the aforementioned Wolves, Jeff Teague has missed four straight with a foot injury. Really been a lost year for him now with various foot, ankle, and knee issues. He's surely going to opt in now to that $19.5 million if there were ever any question of him doing that. He won't play on Thursday against Charlotte either. And we're kind of getting into this time now, as we talked about with New Orleans, where you're getting close enough to the end of the year with a lot of these guys for teams that are out of it, where it's almost like, all right, and especially really more so, I think, for teams that are in the 5 to 14 range than those teams that are in the bottom five with the, the lottery reform. Uh, Derek Rose has been out with a, a sore right elbow, didn't play in the last game, won't play on Thursday against the Hornets. No word on a Robert Covington return either. I mean, he's been out since the start of January now with that bone bruise. There was a thought that he could be coming back. He got some time with the Iowa Wolves, but didn't play any game there. It sounded like he was just practicing but no word on an imminent return for him. Dang is out with an Achilles, uh, getting our first look at Akita Bates' job. And Taj Gibson suffered a strained calf against the Warriors. He's listed as questionable for Thursday, but if it was bad enough that he had to leave the game and it's a calf or a hamstring, you think it's unlikely in a meaningless game that he would play there as well.
0: Some interesting developments in the Doc Rivers Stuff We talked about the potential interest of the Lakers on the last podcast we did, and Dane Wojcicki was the first person I heard have it. I think it was in a a press conference, but I'm citing him because he's the first person I saw. So Doc Rivers said not only that he and Steve Ballmer had agreed to an extension, but they had agreed to that extension, which was different from the one that they signed in May of 2018. And that that new extension had an out for the summer of 2019 that out has been removed from the contract doc rivers is happy there so the two agreed during this season at some point to make to to basically solidify it as a long-term deal that yeah. is important for the clippers doc has been a fabulous coach there this year and it ends the speculation at least for now that he is going somewhere else
2: well and very interesting man. the time frame didn't appear that specific on when the deal for longer was Agreed to. It wouldn't shock me if Doc Rivers will now be getting more money to give up that option. And it seems very clear that there was interest from the Lakers. I'd heard that in multiple places, but Rivers did get out in front of that and say, no, he he did mention that it's not officially on paper yet, but that there is an agreement. He did say that. So you imagine that it it will go through. Uh, Ben Golliver had a nice piece in which rivers talked about how the workload of being an executive uh being his alter ego rock divers uh, was too much for him and then he's been rejuvenated by focusing solely on coaching it and good on him for not pulling say a stan van gundy and saying hey you know what i i refuse to still coach if i don't have my uh, executive power as well for the knicks uh, dennis smith jr will miss at least three more games another one where you start to question whether he's going to play at all again This season the the knicks whether he plays or not very clearly seem to have locked up the number one seed in the lottery and that's not meaningless because that at least ensures they'll pick no lower than fifth used to be fourth uh, obviously under the old rules they don't get any higher chance at the number one pick than if they finish second or third 12.5 percent chance regardless it's too bad though that smith hasn't really had a chance to build up much trade value we talked about his performance on the on the 15 and 60 and if the knicks do reap their free agent rewards smith presumably won't have enough trade value to be moved maybe he goes into next year as the starting point guard depending on who they get but won't really be a fit very likely he's not ready to win right now in his career and so you 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 imagine that we get to next trade deadline and, they'll need an upgrade at that spot if they're really hoping to compete in the east and his trade value won't be very high because he won't have contributed to winning and he's going to end up getting dumped it, it doesn't seem like he's on track to do much to establish his career the hope was maybe that he could at least have boosted his trade value this year or you know played a little bit more winning basketball or at least looked like he could put up some numbers and he, he hasn't been able to do that uh alonzo trier has a calf injury he's probably gonna be out another week or so uh, i haven't heard anything about that but again you know calf injuries rarely is a guy back in less than a week and uh the knicks really suck right now they are <laughs> uh, completely destroyed uh, by utah 137 to 116 and it wasn't that close they trailed by 27 at halftime they will potentially get frank Nilakina back from a grain he did practice he's been out for almost two months now with that had a, a, apparently a setback and uh, noah vonley has also been out with an ankle injury which is giving us more mario hazonia
0: a more competitive eastern conference team i guess a little bit for right now the charlotte hornets are dealing still with tyler zeller cody zeller different zeller being doubtful he's day-to-day with left knee soreness he's probably not going to play in thursday's game they may just shut him down once they're out of it, you know there is there isn't an incentive to push once once they get cleared out. I think that's going to happen pretty soon. As disappointing as that would be yeah. for the franchise, and as of
2: four percent chance of, at the playoffs uh, for Charlotte. Yeah, for, and uh, and to finish four games behind the Magic and Heat.
0: And as of when we record this on Wednesday, Michael K. Gilchrist is still out with a concussion. We'll see what what his timeline is here. There isn't really much to there. The Chicago Bulls, fresh off a rollicking. I use that term sarcastically with overtime win over the Washington Wizards. They played that game without both Otto Porter and Zach Levine. Levine had a thigh issue and Otto Porter has a a strain of his right rotator cuff. We do not have a timeline on that yet. Chicago doesn't have an incentive to push for wins right now, though I do think they would kind of like to know what they have. So I think they'll be cautious with those guys, but they don't have the same incentives to just straight up shut guys down that somebody like New Orleans does because their place in this picture is... Way more settled.
2: Yeah. Or that a team like the Wizards do. And it looks like the Wizards maybe are finally reaching that tipping point here. I mean, the Bulls without maybe their two best players, depends who you ask, did win this one in OT. And Bradley Beal has been playing a ton of minutes, obviously.
0: Yeah, I was going to say when you when you were like, "Oh, maybe they'll push back." Like Bradley Beal played 44 minutes in an overtime game, so yeah, it I, might. T- I mean,
2: I think there's still this delusion of playoff talk there uh, potentially, but hopefully they'll wise up pretty soon on that one.
0: Maxi Kleba has a sprained wrist on his non-shooting hand he missed wednesday's game might be back as soon as thursday might as well be cautious avery bradley they found a right shin constitution in memphis so he'll be out for at least a week he missed their win over the houston rockets and then in a game we, we might end up talking about a little bit just as winslow and roddy magruder each missed wednesday's win over san antonio it was winslow's third consecutive absence and magruder's second and miami is an incredibly deep team they did still they did still win that game so they can be cautious with those guys but they're still you know assuming and they are that they want a playoff spot they have a lot to play for still
2: for the aforementioned thunder no new news but no news is bad news on andre robertson again with the theme that we're getting pretty it's getting late early for some of these these guys who are trying to get back, and the fact that we haven't heard a single thing about him it, it, it's hard to imagine that there's any hope of him making a return at this point uh another guy who clearly won't be returning this year is marco Fultz, but he is at least joining his new orlando teammates he had been back in la had gone back to philly at one point and i mean like what has he been doing this whole time I mean, has he been you know in the physical therapist's office is he even getting up shots is he you know has he seen any sort of improvement in his symptoms i mean probably wasn't a great idea for raymond brothers to say it was going to be four to six weeks um when you know i mean we haven't heard a single update about him basically since then and i mean does he need to have that surgery that the pitchers had to relieve the thoracic outlet syndrome uh you know still just a a ton of mysteries and this may be an incredibly inscrutable condition but you have to feel like if they've been doing the physical therapy for this long and the symptoms haven't alleviated i mean maybe it's now getting back to try to retrain himself to shoot if the pain is gone but just having no insight whatsoever into that process i mean is another no news is bad news right
0: yeah i would say so i mean th- it looks like we have kind of an idea of the two paths here and as long as we don't hear that it's either path it's just a little bit weird
2: and it's sure looking like Bamba is is another guy with that s- stress fracture in his tibia who could be out for the year but uh, that's probably not going to hurt orlando's competitiveness you know kem Burcha uh, has played better than him so far a couple more notes Kyle Lowry suffered that ankle sprain didn't play tonight against the Thunder when Mitchell Robinson kind of fell on him uh, Lowry claimed that it was dirty Robinson denied that uh but the Raptors have been downplaying the severity and he hasn't been ruled out for their next game against the thunder on friday i'd be surprised if he does play there but and and i actually if i'm the raptors i don't really mind my seating right now at the two seed. it would be nice to have home court in a box series to be sure i think the Bucs are gonna be a team that's really gonna thrive on their home court but i do think that the matchup as currently slated against philly if i'm toronto i like that matchup better than the one against boston they've got marcus soul to deal with Embiid. lowry is strong Enough that the Phillies strategy of just going after the opposing point guard doesn't really seem to work that well against him. And I think they've got so many athletes and so much length on defense that they can really shrink the floor against this philly team with some of the non-shooters that they have you know i think they've got a lot of guys that that give ben simmons problems in particular simmons turns the ball over like crazy against them so i I think they like that matchup uh, against philly and uh, it wouldn't be the end of the world if if they get locked into the two seed especially since they are still effectively three games behind milwaukee I i think milwaukee would have to really stumble for toronto to think about going for it seriously here especially with you know leonard someone who they want to uh keep fresh in particular and Lowry uh, another guy who uh falls into that category
0: trevor reza kind of tying in with what we talked about with washington he didn't play with a due to a groin issue in the game against chicago i assume that they will be very cautious with him as now that the playoffs are looking like a a distant dream and presumably if they're thinking about re-signing him you don't want to push a guy you don't want to push a guy back from injury when there aren't any real stakes there for him unless he wants to try to make some money in a contract situation so i i, I think i think we won't see that much of him at least anytime soon phoenix
2: TJ Warren, first time I've seen this reported by the Arizona Republic that is actually a bone bruise in that right ankle. You'd imagine with the, as much time as he's missed since January 22nd that he's been out for a while, but he wants to return before the end of the season and you'd imagine the organization wouldn't be against that they've kind of secured their top three spot with that loss to Chicago the other day. Kelly Oubre uh, has uh, been filling out the box score lately. He won't play against Thursday with a sore left thumb on his shooting hand. Going into restricted free agency, you think he would like to continue putting up a a good impression, but a sore hand is going to help that. We will see Rashawn Holmes return against the Pistons Thursday from a quad strain. And then Tyler Johnson, his sore right knee, he doesn't appear to be close. He's already been ruled out for Thursday. And uh, another thing I think they're Going to be very conservative with him under contract for next season. Let's talk briefly about that Heat-Spurs game. The Heat held on in the end after really being up double digits nearly the entire game. It was a 110-105 victory. They went to that zone defense again, which was pretty solid. Goran Dragic led the team with the 22 points. He's been on fire over his last few games, shooting 14 out of 22 from three-point range he's had some really big first halves uh, as he did it uh, in this one and didn't play as well or as much in the second half i mean he's he's really gaming it up with that huge knee brace and to the shooting it well from three but he'll, he'll get to the basket he had like one really cheeky finish uh, with his left hand on a reverse uh, late in the game uh, that was key to forestall the rally so uh, he gave them just enough and josh richardson their iron man had had 39 minutes uh, nobody else had more than 32 for the heat Dwayne Wade hit a ridiculous pivoting bank shot with his left hand over Marcus Aldridge from the free throw line at the end of the shot clock that was uh, I think that and the Dragic layup were like two of their only shots during that heat during that Spurs comeback but it was just enough to hold them off Wade you know another game where I mean he's had some big highlights but he was 5 of, five of 13 for 11 points on 13 shots I mean that's that's uh you know very inefficient and not great but you know they won speaking uh, speaking of
0: oh speaking of inefficient I was going to go to something for the Spurs San Antonio Eleven of thirty-two on shot two pointers outside of the restricted area in this game. You know they've they've made a lot of hay this year, but I mean, we've talked about how they've been towards the top of the league in effective field goal percentage despite not taking shots in the normal areas. Those just weren't falling in this game. Also, Miami did a pretty good job of contesting shots at the rim. The Spurs did get to the foul line more, but that wasn't really a surprise. Miami, I don't think of them other than if Hassan Whiteside gets going as being the most adept foul drawing team in the league. But you know, not hitting those mid-rangers, the the guards were just ice cold at the beginning of the game. Derek White ended up 1-for-8. Bryn Forbes was 3-for-9, and I think it was actually worse in the first half than it was there. So they needed something from their bench, which is not a big surprise from the Spurs because they get something from their bench all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, Marco Bellinelli was one of the big stars. He gave him some energy late in the third or early in the fourth as they made their comeback. He had 17 points in this one. Um, I mean, it's kind of been a recurring theme that these starters are, are not that great. Yaka Pirtle barely played uh, at all, a uh, Though he's been playing well of late, they played Aldridge Moore at center, but he was negative seventeen. DeRozan was negative sixteen in thirty-four minutes. It's interesting that I mean, early in the season, you know, Pop was playing DeRozan these you know forty-minute games, and you know, I think he might be coming to realize that maybe DeRozan doesn't help them as much, especially with the development of guys like White. When with Rudy Gay being available, he played thirty-two minutes in this one. um I thought that Bam Adebayo was really good at times defensively. In this one, he's been starting at at center. They went more with the look of Derek Jones at the four. Olenek didn't play it as much in this one. Autobio was plus 13. And I thought just his activity in particular defensively, I mean, this late possession he had where first he had a closeout of the perimeter, then he had a great box out. The rebound got knocked around. He dove on the floor and got that. I mean, he really, uh, he was double teaming. At times when they had a, a rough matchup, Derek Jones only one out of seven, but I think his effect in that zone it looks a lot better with his long arms and uh, athleticism. Deion Waiters had another nice game uh, with sixteen points. He's had the three ball working at times uh, lately. Hit some some of those contested moon balls. This Heat team is actually, you know, I, I certainly would much rather play Brooklyn than them if I'm uh, at the bottom of the East, or, or I'm sorry, if I'm at the top of the East, I should say facing the bottom of the East.
0: Yeah, Miami just has this amazing basic propensity to make series... And any game just rough and gross and ugly. I mean, that was that. That was the Charlotte game that was just an absolute just disaster. Yeah, the
2: ninety three seventy five. We've actually yeah. talked a lot about the the Heat this year. It seems like a team that like oh I haven't watched enough of them and it's like oh
0: yeah, I, but, I enjoy but I think that all like the time. I mean I love watching good defense and I've been oh, really yeah. interested in the zone. Uh, Jared Dubin, if you haven't listened to it, Jared Dubin and I did not uh we did like probably about a third of a podcast episode about the zone defense trend around the league. If you want to, we talked a lot about Miami yeah. and how they're doing it and I've, I've been really fascinated with them i also love spo coach teams and figuring out how the hell this offense is going to work has been kind of interesting for me the whole year and so yeah we'll, we'll see with them i mean it's this unusual kind of thing right now in the east where there are six teams basically with the pistons that we expect to be in and then brooklyn is ahead of the other teams in terms of record but they have just this insane schedule the rest of the way so it's the question yeah. is really can the miami orlando or both can they push in and kind of cut the margin and win some extra games and it will probably we'll probably know a lot more in a week i think that's going to be about about where it goes uh can i say a couple of things from other games that frustrated me if you don't have any more notes on this game
2: uh well one other that i had is it just like the spurs have had a great year they just won nine straight yeah and somehow it just seems every time they're on the schedule for a gamer they just like don't play that well and and lose and i just like don't get a chance to say anything good about them (laughs) So, uh. Hopefully that that will change and hopefully they'll get a, a playoff matchup that they could be competitive in. But it, I apologize for his fan that it, it probably seems like I'm lower on your team than I should be. And I, I want to say how remarkable it is again with this personnel that they uh, you know, are going to win another 47 games or whatever it is this year and be a lock for the playoffs when it looked so dicey earlier in the year. But, you know, they didn't play well on this one. It just so happens that I didn't do a game over the past nine games for them that they did one. Uh, do you want to talk briefly about that uh, that Sacramento Brooklyn game?
0: Yeah, we can do that. Actually, I, I'll, I just I'll just got like yeah, go, go two ahead. two brief two brief things part? before that. One, in I, I only watched the ending of regulation and I glanced in an overtime of Houston Memphis, but I went absolutely insane. Memphis is up five points with like twenty something seconds to go, and they they have a timeout left. And I'm trying to remember for the life of me who was trying to get the ball across. I think it might have been lawn right was trying to get the ball across and just didn't. And then it, it might have been a kick that was uncalled. It was it was kind of hard to see because they didn't really go back on the feed I was watching. And then so that was an easy layup. I think was Harden. But then Memphis was defending. Houston had the ball with five seconds to go, down three. And you're sitting there going, okay, you know the worst case scenario here under normal circumstances would be you defend it well, they shoot a three, probably a tough one, and it. Goes goes in. nope James Harden pump fakes and NBA champion Justin Holiday bites on the pump fake Harden gets him in the air gets the three gets the three free throws Harden is a wonderful free throw shooter and Memphis doesn't get anything on the final possession so it goes to overtime but in one of three games that this happened in there were three games tonight that all should not have gone to overtime and in all three games the team that should have won in regulation ended up winning the game so there's I guess you could call it some sort of basketball justice there Let's talk
2: a little bit about this, uh, this game from last night. Brooklyn trailed by 28 points in the fourth quarter, came back to win. Giangelo Russell with 27 points in the fourth, put up 44 overall had some questions about hey you know like does this change your view of russell and yes and no he showed more verve attacking the basket than i've seen in terms of just his ability to change direction and get from point a to point b pretty quickly now john schumann had the point that he basically had more buckets in the restricted area in that fourth quarter than basically he's ever had in any quarter in his career and it's not really very close and so yeah this is a massive outlier in terms to what he's been able to do. And that's the, his efficiency and inability to get to the basket, inability to beat switches. Those are the reasons why I've been lower on him uh, than some others have been even this season, although certainly, as as I've said many times, he's been far above my expectations so far this year. But, and he deserves a lot of credit for his shooting. I mean, I've always been a capable shooter, more than capable shooter, I should say. God, the King's defense was atrocious though, Danny, in that fourth quarter.
0: And it was atrocious in terms of strategy and atrocious in terms of results. Results. I oh, mean yeah. D'Angelo Russell if this it's not I mean yes Sacramento only plays Brooklyn twice a year it is not exactly shocking that if you switch d'angelo Russell is going to have a lot of trouble with it if you have any sort of capable defense at the rim he's going to have some trouble with it and
2: if you actually force him to go to his right hand or the right side of the floor yeah that, I mean, that, that would also help all of his finishes are just straight line left-hand drive right to the left side of the rim for Leo yeah
0: and I mean he, Harry Giles was only in for four minutes, but I, I thought Giles got absolutely torched in that stretch and he's he's not a great defensive player he's not even a good one he's he's a, that that's a big problem for them and i mean sacramento when you're in this position and it, you know you could say oh the game didn't didn't matter much to them structurally but it definitely looked like a game that sacramento really wanted to win they looked really crushed yeah. by the loss as as you should be when you lose that badly when you were ahead by that much at home and everything else and yeah i mean bagley did have you know he he had a a productive game offensively but i thought that they did attack him a lot you know he's he's not a great rim protector i will disagree i thought that he did a a good job on the last possession of the game on the ronde play but generally i thought he didn't do a good job on d'angelo russell of kind of taking away what russell wants most and also just the king system did do that in the slightest
2: yeah and between giles and bagley an intriguing offensive combination we saw the good of bagley i mean he was awesome throughout most of this game really efficient just springing off the floor for tip dunks had the jumper working uh but uh, another guy who i think Think has both been better than I thought he would be at the things that we thought he would be good at so far, but also I still just because of the type of player that he is, I still struggle to be that high on. And Jerry Reynolds said he thought he clearly was going to be the best big man ever for the Kings, and I'm guessing that was more a slight at Demarcus Cousins than Chris weber But no, Marvin Bagley would really surprise me if he's as Chris Webber was. Chris yeah, I
0: mean Chris was. weber deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't make many Hall of fame pronouncements but that that's one i will say from from my knowledge especially when you
2: consider his college career too yeah absolutely um the nets i mean and they had just made the game before a 10 point comeback in the final minute to tie the game against the clippers and then lou williams did a miracle shot uh, to win it so this is their second crazy comeback in two games did it totally different personnel this time along with russell they had travion graham ronde hollis jefferson at center jared dudley was exhumed looking a little corpulent but effective as ever i mean i thought his defense was a real difference maker just his intelligence his, his willingness to help at the exact right times he had a hilarious missed layup in transition where it seemed like he actually kind of thought about dunking it and then just like went for the layup at the end and uh grant napier for the king's broadcast was like how can you miss that layup and jerry was like well he can't jump grant jerry <laughs> <laughs> dudley just, but but Dudley was awesome in this game. Yeah. He had a couple of threes as well. I mean, he, but, he all, that was the he
0: also well. tried to draw a charge at a, a, a at the, on De'Aaron Fox and transition at the three point line, which I understand from a process standpoint because basically the idea is you're going to have to wrap up D'Angelo Russell anyway. He was going to get an or, open uh, layup. De'Aaron Fox, you De'Aaron mean. Fox, same thing. But uh, yeah, so he was going to have there was somebody who was going to have to stop Fox from getting a layup somehow. And so you might as well do that in a way where you can try to draw a charge, like get a, get an offensive foul, you know, try to bait the ref into making a mistake. I get it, which is part of the reason why I don't like charges is because just like the Dennis Schroeder play, you're rewarding and encouraging behavior that you just don't want to reward and encourage like i think that's a basic thing thankfully yeah. in both circumstances behavior yeah right and playing defense instead would, it would by have been the way position. my
2: uh my fix the charge presentation that i did at sloan is actually up on youtube unfortunately you can't see the powerpoint that goes with it as well maybe i'll post that powerpoint somewhere too uh but uh i'll tweet that out at some point soon um yeah and hollis jefferson was great too i thought yeah though. like his like strong roles to them and russell i mean he had four assists as well as the twenty-seven points i mean he was diming guys up early jefferson hollis jefferson the speed at which he was slipping the screens and rolling to the room, i think really surprised the kings early on but the kings i mean they finally switched russell in the last like 40 seconds of the game and you know he missed a contested mid-range too he's not a good guy at at beating switches even against somewhat middling defensive talent as the kings have um you know they didn't try trapping they didn't try Forcing Russell to his right. I mean, there just really didn't appear to be much. Maybe there was something, but you know, I couldn't really see much as I was watching the game. Discernible about you know changes that they made strategy wise. um All right, anything else you want to talk about before we depart here?
0: Yeah, I'll just mention that I put out. I, I guess you could call it two Real Jam Radio podcasts. So I did the the substantive one with Sam Vicini going through draft prospects and you know Zion coming back from injury and and going on through the the guys to watch early and late and who could raise their stock, all that kind of stuff. And also the mascot bracket, which is an annual annual tradition with my sister who hates sports, but is a biologist by trade and loves thinking about if the mascots got in a fight. So we do that for the whole bracket. It's about 45 minutes of glorious nonsense. I I really do enjoy it. So both those are out. I have a couple pieces that I'm working on for The Athletic that should be out over the next couple of days. And we have we've already recorded the podcast for tomorrow. So if you want to, you can get people excited about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We talked about the the, uh, top 10 players in the NBA an annual rite of passage and kind of a prediction of how guys are going to play in the playoffs too which is fun to do it at this time all right we'll talk to y'all tomorrow till then
1: at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment